You're listening to Oh Hey, an Eau Claire Festival podcast from The Current. Jay and Cecilia here to say thank you for listening to Oh Hey, The Current's Eau Claire Festival podcast. We learned a lot and we hope you did too. So we thought we'd just talk a little bit about what happened on Saturday night because it was another eventful night of music. And, you know, we saw a lot of music over the weekend. There's a lot we didn't see because we were busy recording episodes of this podcast, editing, working with our on-air colleagues. And so as much great music as we saw, we know there was so much more that we didn't. And so, Cecilia, I know you actually had to miss a couple of the big events on Saturday night because you had the opportunity to interview Nadia from Pussy Riot. I did. Uh, Nadia visited the current house. She was gracious enough to um, talk with me for a few minutes. So that meant that I paid special attention to the Pussy Riot set. Uh, I'd seen them before at the Turf Club in March, which I talked a little bit about with her. But it was really cool to see them see Pussy Riot out in the open air. Um, You could look around and see everybody's jaws just like dropped. I loved that set. It was absolutely one of the highlights of the fest, and I'm sure it will be one of the highlights of my musical year. And I'd read your review of the St. Paul show, and based on your description of that show, I think I was expecting something that wouldn't necessarily feel so much like a concert. It's mm-hmm. like, maybe we'll just have some like Eau Claire activists will come out and talk about what they do, and maybe there'll be a couple of songs, and maybe that's just what this will be, especially in a you know at a festival like Eau Claire, where it's about so much more than the music. But then it turned into this you know, one of the biggest like raves of the festival. That's true. People were jumping up and down. People like, it seemed like Pussy Riot was done, but people were yelling for another song. Um, So they actually fired up the speakers. They got another song going and people started running back to the main main stage just so they could have like another minute or two of uh, this dancing, like part joy, part what the heck is going on kind of feeling. It was, and all the more impressive, given that these are not songs that you can assume most of the festival attendees knew. It's not like, oh, they're like, oh yeah, please play the hits, you know, but I think they were just really responding to the energy. The songs were fun and they weren't just fun. Obviously, they all had very pointed messages about, you know, capitalism, about human rights. Um, And, you know, there were lyrics translated on the stage with really fun animation. So it was really easy for people to engage with. Obviously, a lot of the people at the festival were very receptive to Pussy Riot's message about the current political situation in the world. And I know it was interesting for me to see that, you know, to see that from a Russian perspective. Mm. You know, we uh, coming from the U.S. perspective, we have a lot of discussion of Trump and Putin and what have you. But to see someone come from Russia and sort of see the current geopolitical situation through their eyes rendered in song form. With animations to boot. It was really it was really eye opening and uh, pretty powerful. Yeah. One of the um, standout songs that I heard you talking about the fact that probably very few of these people knew a lot of these songs. And Pussy Riot has only put out like a handful of songs. They have this one three-song EP from 2016. There are a couple of singles and stuff like that. But there was this one song I'd never heard before that was about loving your pimples. Uh, And there was this like Hello Kitty, really trippy animation going on. And I just heard people reading the lyrics on the screen. I love my pimples. Like the song is about people try to sell you stuff to get rid of pimples. But, you know, the person the singer just loves them uh i heard people all around me just being like what and then it was really ingratiating like i mean it was really um yeah endearing yeah and you know you hear so much about pussy right in the news for very real very important reasons and you sort of think of them less as a band than as a 
phenomenon, which is, you know, not inaccurate that the, the reasons they're making news have less to do with their music per se than with where they're making that music and how they're doing it and what have you. But the, their set really functioned like a concert. And I thought evoked, I, I made me think of everyone from Woody Guthrie to Billy Bragg to all sorts of different, you know, all sorts of like hip hop artists, to some extent dance artists. Like there is this long musical tradition of people who use sometimes very simple and direct musical language to make statements that to them transcend music, right? It's not just about geeking out about the music. It's about this using music as a platform for a message. And I felt like their performance was squarely in that lineage. And that's part of what the crowd was, was mm. responding to. Yeah. And then we went from Pussy Riot basically straight to the National, who have that song, The System Only Dreams in Total Darkness. And I was like, oh, through lines. This is crazy. What was your read on the National set? That was a highlight of the festival for me. One of uh, There were many highlights of the festival. I missed a lot of, so in, in turn, uh, on my end, I missed a lot of the Big Red Machine set the night before uh, because I was doing another interview at that point. Um, but so the National, I feel like, was the most carefully choreographed large scale performance I saw at the festival. So there's this round stage and the National were truly using it as a round stage. A lot of the artists, including the ones we talked to, seemed delighted by the idea of a round stage and thought it was fun to see and was certainly like an interesting visual hallmark of the festival. But most of the performances that happened on that round stage were artists who got up there and they were like, cool, round stage, we're going to face this way. You know, and they basically, you know, gave a, a traditional... You, performance facing in one direction, but the National actually created an experience in the round, as did Big Red Machine uh, to some extent. It's and like so facing toward each other? Facing toward they were facing towards each other and out towards the audience so that anywhere you were around this stage, you were experience, you were experiencing the band from a different viewpoint and one that didn't necessarily feel better or worse than any other viewpoint. And Matt Berninger, the front man, was really making a point of not just being a front man, but being an everywhere man. Mm -hmm. He was in the middle. He was on the sides, you know. He wasn't climbing the way that I know, uh, I believe Francis climbed sure that did. stage. So he, did, he didn't climb quite as high, but he was definitely moving all around that circle with his mic and addressing the crowd in all three directions. And then, in addition to having this 360 performance, with a light show to boot, the National had these sort of auxiliary stages, kind of satellite stages. Like you, you sometimes will see satellite stages at like big arena shows and maybe, you know, maybe Taylor Swift will like go out to a satellite stage to do a duet with Ed Sheeran back in the day. That was on the Red Tour, iconic. Anyway, so you'll see artists like use these satellite stages to go out, like connect with the audience. But the National had performers stationed on three stages that were maybe, I want to say, about 30 to 40 feet away from the main stage in three different directions. So you had the national on the main stage, and then you had one satellite stage with JT Bates, the drummer, and then another drummer as well playing Buckets, um, which is great because I've always thought bucket drummers are underused in popular music. You had another table with a bunch of DJs and mixers and performers, uh, Andrew Broder was there mixing, adding uh, different elements to the sound. And then there was a third satellite stage that turned out to be the place where Julian Baker popped up for maybe my favorite 
moment of the whole festival. The way that she appeared um, in the National set was different than the other people who were joining the band. So the National were calling a lot of musicians, including Chastity Brown, up on stage, Sharon Van Etten, to come and sing songs with them. And the guests would come up and like stand on the stage with the National and sing with them and then get down. And But then they were singing songs by the National. Um, they were joining them on these songs, including some new songs. I mean, it was definitely it was cool. But then when they introduced Julian Baker, she appeared on this satellite stage standing alone with her guitar. And she sang her own song, Appointments, which ends with a, you know, she, her song sort of will build to this sort of the, this big cathartic climax. And, you know, this one includes lyrics about you know whether things will turn out all right and you she keep just keeps singing i have to believe that it will i have to believe things will be all right and she builds to the end of this song and then it segues into the nationals fake empire i had goosebumps on the outside and the inside of my skin it was such a gorgeous really powerful moment um so yeah it was an incredible set from the national and clearly that was the kind of experience that you have at eau claire and you're like well that's not that was not just an ordinary show by the National. Yeah. Wow. I just got goosebumps as well. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> then came the Lake O'Loon stage event advertised as the People Mixtape. So People is this new streaming service, digital platform, community, for lack of a better combination of words. You know a little yes. bit more about it than I do. You've, you've delved a little bit more deeply into this entity called people yeah they call it a publishing platform um so the goal is that artists are able to release any music that they want anytime they want um and take it down anytime they want and perhaps later share downloads and a lot of the tracks that you'll see on people like the publishing platform are the by the same artists who performed at eau claire yeah so they call this people mixtape and Clearly, a lot of people surged over towards that stage after the national set, expecting anything could happen. Maybe this is where we're going to people keep saying Kanye. Maybe this is where Kanye is going to show up. I was like, well, no, I don't think Kanye is going to show up. And what it turned out to be was a loose, appealing set of music presided over by Justin Vernon. So he was sort of perched behind a keyboard and laptop up on sort of center stage and was not just sort of producing the music that we saw, but also hosting. He was kind of being an MC for this mixtape and introduced people as they came up. And a good indication, a couple of good indications of the spirit of this, we heard from a musician who was part of it. Uh, I'll, I'll let him remain nameless. But earlier in the day, we heard from a musician who was going to be part of that. And this was, you know, Saturday afternoon. He says, oh, yeah, I'm playing in this people mixtape. I don't know what I'm doing. Right. So even yeah, as far as, as recently as Saturday afternoon, they're like, well, this is still coming together. So that's kind of where things were. And then a couple songs into it, Justin Justin Vernon had to apologize. He's like, oh, sorry, I've been calling up the wrong names. He said, I've been reading the wrong set list that I wrote two hours ago. And he kind of chuckled. How did you feel as an audience member about that? Well, I think my impression, again, this is just my impression, is that probably the TLC that went into planning the Big Red Machine set on Friday night, that's probably where Justin Vernon did his big like performance planning for the festival. It's like that was that was the really like tightly 
you know, planned performance. Whereas the mixtape, there's a reason they gave it the name mixtape, right? They're like, we're just going to do a bunch of stuff. We're going to call some people up. They're going to sing some songs. And so they had a lot of artists associated with the festival come up and do one or two, or in the case of Naeem, if I counted right, three songs, you know, and Justin was sort of like, you know, there there was a JT Bates was drumming there. You know, so they were... Basically, they, they, Justin Vernon, JT Bates, and a couple other artists were kind of like a house band, you know, for different people to come up and and do numbers. So yeah, so Naeem was up there. Uh, two dancers came up and perform and and danced for a few songs. Um, they having recently collaborated with Bon Iver for shows at the Palace Theater in St. Paul. They brought the women's choir back up. The oh. group of artists who had performed earlier in the day. Uh, they were one of the final performances, and they played a song that actually played on the flambeau stage right as the day was getting started everything is free by gillian welch and uh so yeah that was that was it was the way to sort of like bring the day full circle and i guess i i listened to that song a million times and somehow i had not thought of that as being a song about digital music yeah and phoebe bridgers introduced it um phoebe bridgers was in this women's choir on the flambeau stage she introduced it as a mu- as a song about digital streaming and i i heard that i knew the song or i thought i knew the song and i just thought it was like a joke haha ha, everything is free but that's actually kind of what the song that's actually what the song is about that was actually so poignant yeah and yeah it's a beautiful song and you know, why not you know launch your digital publishing platform with this you know very bittersweet poignant lament for lack of better words it maybe is a little incongruous in some ways but you know they're embracing the ambiguity it was a gorgeous performance so they did that francis and the lights popped back up and then the people mixtape concluded with the iron boy singers the native performers who had kicked off the whole festival with the opening ceremony on the flambeau stage they came back out to the lake Oloon stage and performed again and this time i'm going to describe what transpired as a remixing of their performance in the sense that they were performing and chanting and singing and Justin was back there creating this soundscape behind them that you sort of steadily grew and grew and grew in volume and dynamics as the chant went on. And so it was a collaboration between the Iron Boy singers and Justin Vernon. And that was how the People mixtape wrapped up. You know, I heard that a similar thing happened during the Broder mixtape that Andrew Broder was in charge of. I believe, I know it was in the woods somewhere. I believe it was at Oxbow. Um, I think it was the same Iron Boy group who went up onto the, the stage and Andrew Broder was this time behind them creating this electronic soundscape. Uh, and yeah, Nate Ryan said that it was one of his favorite things, like the coolest things that he saw the whole festival long. Yeah, it was absolutely it was absolutely epic. Um, and then that was that was the end of it. It was they I, they'd run a little long. I think it was nearly twelve thirty at this point, which didn't leave a lot of time for horror to perform. But Justin closed out his remarks. And by the way, I should say that as MC of this people mixtape. Justin wasn't just sort of naming performers, but was thanking them. He was saying how much he loved them. He was saying how much the two dancers had come to mean to him. It was clear that he was feeling warm and emotional and happy about how everything went down this weekend. So, you know, a lot of people loved the festival. Some people didn't love it. But my impression from the comments that Justin was making on stage and his general demeanor was that he was feeling very uh, happy and proud and excited that everything happened the way it did this weekend 
So anyway, so when he wrapped up, uh, the people said, he said, nobody go see horror. They're one of my favorite bands. And so some people ran over to see them. A lot more, a lot of people ran for the shuttles as well, because <laughs> in fairness, horror is not everyone's cup of tea. For sure. Uh, we just got official numbers and it looks like it was about 12,000 people who showed up at the festival. So some people would look at that and say, hey, this is a downturn for the festival. This is not a great thing. But you're saying that Justin Vernon just seems really satisfied and happy with everything that went down. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, whether that means it'll happen again, who knows? The analogy that has kept coming back for me and trying to describe the way this year's festival felt, kind of the vibe, the attitude that the people had, is it really takes me back to visiting Paisley Park during Prince's lifetime. When, you know, it wasn't a huge crowd. And the next day if Prince played, you know, you'd say to people, oh, I saw Prince play last night in front of 500 people. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, you could have been there. He tweeted about it, right? You knew it was there. But it was, it was, in the middle of Chanhassen. It was, you know, late at night. You didn't know what was going to happen. It wasn't the most convenient place to get to. But the people that would show up there were the people who Prince knew would show up there. They were the super fans or the fams, as he called them, who were happy to enter Prince's world and to experience what he was going to curate for them, which included a lot of his favorite guest artists, which included occasionally performances by him, which included the whole ambiance. And you knew you were just taking this opportunity to experience what he was going to bring you. And, you know, those people just kept coming back to Paisley Park. And I think that it was kind of the vibe I was getting from Eau Claire is that the average people who I talked to, I know some people on social media and, you know, weren't, weren't thrilled with it, but Everybody who I talked to when I was going and, you know, walking up to people, asking them about their festival experience, had bought the tickets knowing that they were not going to know the lineup, had traveled to Eau Claire, set up their campsites knowing they weren't going to know the lineup. And then the lineup was announced and they were like, okay, this is pretty much what, you know, I was in it for. And they just seemed pretty happy the whole weekend. And I feel like the average person I talked to would totally go back again under the exact same circumstances and would have a similar experience, which of course, it'd be unclear, it'd be a totally different experience, but also, you know, a similar type of vibe. They they would do it again. Yeah. I think you nailed it with the Paisley Park connection because I'd also visited Paisley Park for these random nights. Like you never know what was going to happen. And sometimes you could take a tour of Paisley Park. Sometimes uh, you might just be surprised by Prince in the back of the house uh, doing a dance party, like DJing a dance party. And that feeling was the same. Like I felt the feeling resonated throughout me as I was walking around Eau Claire. If Prince had ever decided to curate a full-on music festival it might have gone down the musical aesthetic would have been different certainly but the sense of these connections being made these collaborations the sense of excitement and respect among the artists who were excited not to be there not just to play their sets but to see what their peers were going to play because they knew they weren't just going to see an average Sharon Van Etten set they were going to see her playing if there is such a thing but mm-hmm. you know they were going to see her playing new songs and you know, not playing the guitar taking chances um, and trusting that she was there with an audience who were there to really experience what she had to share with them, right? They weren't looking for her to play the hits or play the songs that they heard on TV or what have you. You know, they were really there to be patient with her. Yeah. And, you know, that reminds me of one of the things that Aaron Dessner, the co-curator of this festival and member of the National, told Brian and Jill when he appeared on a break during our um, live broadcast at Eau Claire. He was talking about Big Red Machine and how this project started back in like 2009, like almost 10 years ago, and saying that the seeds of this project were cultivated at Eau Claire. 
like a year ago, Big Red Machine took one of the smaller stages. And from what I've heard, it was a little less, it was not quite ready for a huge stage. But then they got there. And I want to say that the Big Red Machine set that I saw on Friday night was one of my like highlights of the whole entire festival. Yeah. And so it seemed like the people platform is meant to be a digital platform somewhat in the spirit of Eau Claire, where it's extremely artist-centered. It rewards and encourages collaboration. It is there for the fans who are happy to meet the artists on their own terms, understanding that what they're going to get is an experience that's unique and collaborative. Not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And considering the fact that uh, that most of these same crew, most of the same crew, the whole like Eau Claire family tree, is having their second People Festival in Berlin this this summer. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Eau Claire somehow got folded into this People brand because you could see People merch going on, like People merch was being sold at the tents. I saw at least as many people wearing People T-shirts as I did wearing Eau Claire T-shirts or carrying around Eau Claire merch. Yeah, that is an aspect of the festival that I was so busy running around trying to see things and take it all in that I didn't even like really reflect on. But it was certainly interesting to be standing in all these crowds of people wearing shirts that just literally said people. Sometimes they'd be upside down. Sometimes you'd get a rainbow over like an upside down rainbow over it. But yeah, just people. When you say it that way, it sounds totally ironic, Mm. but it was totally sincere. It was so genuine. (laughs) Even when it was written upside down. Exactly. Well, that concludes our podcast. Uh, Thanks for uh, listening and uh, following along with us as we have done our darndest to bring information and feelings and analysis and whatever else we could scoop up into uh, this podcast. Uh, Let us know what you think. Leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you want to uh, share your thoughts via email, you can reach me at jgabler at mpr.org. Thank you for listening. I feel like... In the spirit of Eau Claire, we should like conclude this podcast in like a sound bath. Let's create a drone. (laughs) Great.
Stay tuned for more episodes of Oh Hey, an Eau Claire Festival podcast from The Current.